From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. Welcome back to Terra Informa. I'm Shelley Jodwin, and I'll be your host for the next half hour of environmental news from across Canada and around the world. Last November, Terra Informer Dylan Hall spoke with Holly Ann Passmore, a positive psychology researcher. When they spoke, she was earning her PhD in psychological sciences at the University of British Columbia. Her research focuses on how connecting with nature will enhance well-being, meaning in life, and full aliveness. Here goes. Holly Ann, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here. This is great. It's really exciting. So first off, you describe yourself as a positive psychology researcher. What is positive psychology and how does it differ from traditional psychology? And there's a lot of misconceptions about what positive psychology is. It's a little bit of an unfortunate term, really, positive psychology, because it sounds like there's a negative psychology, and there really isn't. So traditional psychology has focused on what you think of as psychology, right? What's wrong with people? How do we fix them? Bringing people up who are anxious or depressed, making them not anxious or depressed. There's a big difference between not being depressed and feeling fully alive, being fully flourishing. And that's what positive psychology focuses on. So in some ways, uh, my research and certainly the bulk of research looking at nature well-being looks at restorative aspects. So how do how can nature connectedness, affiliating with nature, exposure to nature, how can that help people reduce stress, reduce deal with depression? So restoring people and how what are the additive benefits? How can connecting with nature, being exposed to nature, how can that boost your levels of well-being? How can that buffer um, negative events for you, but how can that boost it? So it's like a double whammy kind of thing. You have both ends of the spectrum. And so before we get too into the research that you've done and the research that you've compiled through literature reviews, I feel like we should clarify some of the key terms that we'll be talking about. Mm-hmm. Your research focuses on the connections between nature, well-being, and meaning in life. So first off, what is nature? <laughs> That is also a good question, one that gets asked uh, by many people, including reviewers, when we submit articles. So how I define nature in my research and is really the same way that most, uh, I would say by and large almost all, nature well-being researchers define nature. And I think it's the same way with many of the, most of the people listening right now. And this is an aspect that essentially not human-made. So it could be the greater environment. So yes, a totally so-called wilderness area, going out in Jasper, backpacking through the mountains. It also includes things like the dandelion growing out of the sidewalk. That is not human-made. That dandelion was made by, we're not sure what, but not humans. That's also nature. The sun, the sky, leaves, bringing plants in your room. That's all nature. So when I talk about the research, And when I talk about my research later on, looking at how does exposure to nature affect people's well-being and different kinds of well-being and meaning in life, that's the kind of nature, that whole broad spectrum of essentially not human-made, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so in the research that's been conducted, many of the positive associations between well-being and nature aren't discriminating between spending a huge amount of time in the backcountry or just having a potted plant on your desk? There's research that looks at 
most definitely, and often that's qualitative research, looking at the benefits of going in the backcountry, the wilderness aspects. Huge benefits of that. There's also, and the bulk of research really, is looking at everyday kinds of nature. And there have been uh, many, many, and these are replicated several times, large demographic population studies looking at nature. And so looking at green space. So how much literal green space is around where you live? How many lawns? How much lawn is there? Trees, parks, even just neighborhood parks. That counts as nature. That counts as green space mm. as well. Um, the green space around them, how does that affect people's physical health and their greater emotional, psychological well-being? And in thinking of that greater emotional, psychological well-being, what is that? How do people determine what it means to be well? Oh, good question. So obviously we know, I think, physical well-being is physical well-being. That's fairly straightforward. Greater aspects of well-being also look at the things I mentioned before. So people's inherent need to grow personally, an inherent need to do things that connect with who they are, that really resonate with the center of you, your sense of true self. If people have meaning in life, people have feelings of awe, feelings of elevation. That is all part of full well-being and cognitive well-being too. Um, Do you always feel exhausted? Are you having a hard time thinking? And meaning in life, you bring this up. It's another main area of focus and research for you. It sounds pretty existential to me. How is this desire for purpose addressed when we open our senses to the non-human world? It's interesting that you say that sounds very existential because certainly the psychological study of meaning in life is very much. It's certainly becoming broader now within positive psychology. But it very much started and in some ways still lives, is housed in existential psychology. Aspects of life that every human being living has to deal with. We all deal with this idea of why are we here? What is the point of my life? What is the meaning? So there's aspects of meaning. And generally what they're thought of is so the aspect of purpose, which is what many people think of as meaning in life. So what are my goals in life? Where do I fit in? Coherence is one of the main factors of meaning in life. Does the world make sense? Hmm. Are there patterns? Is there some kind of sense of stability in the world? And this can be simple things as if I'm holding a piece of paper and I drop it, it's going to fall down. Clocks run clockwise. Spring, summer, fall, winter. Even in times of climate change, that still works that way. The sun still rises in the east and sets in the west patterns of stability, coherence, does the world make sense? Purpose fits into that in, do I fit into this? Do I fit into this pattern? And transcendence, this idea of fitting into something that is broader than the individual. Am I part of the bigger world around me? And significance, am I just a cog in the wheel? Or am I, do I fit into that bigger world, that broader sense of community, and the broader sense of the way the world works, in a significant way. And how this connects with my research on meaning on nature connectedness and exposure to nature is there are many indications that exposure to nature helps people find meaning in life. It gives people a source of meaning. And it gives that because it gives people perspective. It gives people that sense of 
what is called a small self. So perspective, I am just a, I am a part of this universe. I am mm. a part of something bigger than I am that has a pattern to it. And at the same time, I'm also connected to this. I'm a greater unified self. I am part of something that's bigger than me in a significant way. Connections with nature consistently rank in the top sources of meaning in people's lives. So we benefit an awful lot from being exposed to nature. And what does the literature say about this? Are there many psychologists studying the connections between mental health and nature? And if so, are they finding consensus? The literature is so consistent. There is a solid and really growing body of literature that is extremely consistent with the benefits that people individually and socially find when they are exposed to green space, when they are exposed to nature. There is a small group of psychologists. It's growing now, certainly since I've started researching it, it's grown. But there's still a relatively small number of psychologists looking at um, looking at these factors of nature and well-being. So if we start broad, and I mentioned this earlier, if we start broad, there's been a number of studies looking at population studies. And these are longitudinal studies, so 10,000, some of them are 200,000 people. And it's been found that people who live in areas that have more green space, even if you control for age, even if you control for disease condition, even if you control for gender, because of course we know that women tend to live longer than men, even if you control for if people use that green space or not, People living in green space are healthier, they say that they're healthier, and they live longer. That's a pretty big benefit of just living in areas that have more green space. Frances Q has done a number of studies. She did these in Chicago and some of the uh, areas that have the lowest socioeconomic status in the United States, in the slums of Chicago. And really interesting findings, there were people, they just get placed in one of these complex buildings. And it just so happens that these two apartment buildings are essentially identical. It's just that one happens to have green space, one happens to have some lawn and trees, the other one doesn't. For the people that live in the building, that have the green space around that building, there are lower and significantly lower rates of property crime. There are significantly lower rates of personal violent crime. People say that they feel more connected to their neighbors. People have higher levels of well-being. Those are powerful benefits of very small kinds of exposure to nature that, again, have been replicated consistently in the research. And again, when we do, when psychologists do these kinds of studies, they're often done over a number of years. They often look at what's called a meta-analysis, so you take a number of different studies and put them together and look at, are we still finding the same benefits? And yes, they are. And then, of course, on an individual basis, too, there have been a number of studies done that find the same kinds of findings, results. Individually, when people are exposed to nature, and some of these are really tiny exposures, spending 15 minutes in a lab where there's plants as opposed to 15 minutes in a room where there's no plants, taking a one-hour walk or a half-hour walk in nature, watching a 10-minute slideshow on videos. So the research that I do tends to be more longitudinal, so two weeks of spending either noticing nature or spending more time in nature, and very consistently, higher levels of well-being, so higher levels of positive emotions, lower levels of negative emotions, higher levels of satisfaction with life. Um, usually, but not always, we have to do more research on this, higher levels of meaning in life, 
definitely higher levels of awe, higher levels of feeling elevated, higher levels of a general sense of connectedness to not just to nature, but a higher sense of connectedness to other people and to life itself, and higher levels of pro-social behavior. People are nicer. People are friendlier. People will help each other more often when they've been exposed to nature. People feel more alive. People feel more vital. Even if they just imagine being in nature, huge benefits. Very, the research is incredibly consistent on this. And so the benefits are not just for people who love nature. These positive correlations are true for people of different genders, races, ages, diets, socioeconomic <laughs> statuses, etc. Why do you think it's so universal? That's so true, and that's a really important part. And thank you for bringing that up, Dylan. That's a really important part. And one of the things that I've found in my research is that it doesn't matter if people are highly connected to nature or not. People still experience benefits. So yes, this seems to be a very universal finding. And one of the reasons why we surmise that this is a universal finding across cultures, across gender, socioeconomic status across people, human beings, is because of something called the biophilia hypothesis. This is one theory. And this is by E.O. Wilson and several other people, actually. He just happens to be most known for it. And it's the idea that we are part of nature. We are human. We are animals. We just happen to be human animals. But we evolved in a natural environment. It's almost like an instinct to affiliate with all forms of life, to affiliate with the natural environment. We haven't lived like this in these little tiny buildings and in cities for very long in our history. So it makes sense that these would these kinds of effects would be cross-cultural. And I have done some correlation research looking at this idea of nature connectedness in Russia, in Japan, in China, that, um, again, very consistent findings with this, with the benefits of feeling connected to nature seem to help people feel better. And in thinking of us as being animals, you write that there is a dissociation between human biology and modern urban life. I can't help but think of the difference between those 200,000 years that we've been humans and the world that we live in today. Does this epoch of industrialization really matter? Are we both individually and as a species poor because of this divorce from nature? I think that answer to that is a resounding yes. We are infinitely poorer individually and as a society by being divorced from nature, by not, by staying indoors, by not bringing nature indoors to us, but not going outside and experience nature. And again, as we discussed, the research is so consistent that shows that to be fully flourishing, to feel fully connected to life, I think, and research certainly supports this, you need to be exposed to the natural world. It is part of who we are, and the benefits are enormous. Yeah, you've written that Today, more than 80% of Canadians live in urban centres. Canadians spend almost 90% of their time indoors on average, and the average child aged 8 to 18 in the United States spends over seven hours a day plugged into some form of entertainment media. How can we try and counteract this? How can individuals access the benefits of time in nature? I think one of the misconceptions with this 
is the fact that we, we touched on this before, this idea that it's only beneficial if you really highly connected to nature. Mm. If you're the hippie chick, tree hugger dude, <laughs> who likes to go backpacking, who likes to spend two weeks out canoeing. I happen to be one of those people, probably why I got into researching this. However, research shows the benefits come not just yeah, if you like to do that, go for it. That is certainly going to be beneficial to your physical health and your emotional health and your psychological health. So is just going for a walk in the river valley. So is choosing to study outside. So is choosing to bring plants into your house. We're on the, uni we're on the U of A campus. It, it, it's impossible to, to be on this campus and not be surrounded by nature. The trees, there's squirrels everywhere. There's birds, there's leaves, there's trees, there's lawn. It's a beautiful campus. It doesn't take a lot of time to get the benefits. It's about noticing it. My latest piece of research that just came out, we looked at that, and this, were, this was a fairly large study. This was 400 participants. And the only instructions were, of course, random assignment, you know, some people doing nothing, some people who just paid attention to how the built environment made them feel. But we had, the, had this group of participants, that was the instructions. Don't change your daily routine, just pay attention to how nature makes you feel. And at the end of two weeks, the people who were in that condition, who just simply paid attention to how nature made them feel in their everyday life, had higher levels of happiness. They had higher levels of feeling connected to other people. They had higher levels of social, pro-social behavior. They had higher levels of feeling elevation. They had higher levels of well-being just from noticing how nature made them feel. So this misconception, I think, that I, I have to entirely change my whole lifestyle in order to do this, you don't need to entirely change your life in order to get the benefits of nature. And that's a really important point that I, that I want to get across to people. So it's changing how we're thinking. It's changing our attention and what we focus our thoughts on. Yeah, it's changing what you notice. How many times do you get off the LRT and you go to your class, do you really look and notice the leaves that are falling? How many times have you run to class and not seen the little squirrel that just ran by you? How many times do you go out at night and not actually look and see the stars or look at the moon? Take five minutes to go and look at that. It's about paying attention to it and paying attention to how it makes you feel, not necessarily spending more time. Of course, spending more time in nature is going to be beneficial, but it doesn't mean you have to completely restructure your life. Finals are coming right up. You're not going to have time to go spend four hours in nature. I get that. And research supports that it doesn't necessarily have to take a lot of time to reap the benefits. And paying attention to the stars, a tree, a snowshoe hare, it sounds like a very ephemeral thing just to change my thinking and my thoughts. But your most recent study has shown that it's not just an ephemeral thing. Like the benefits are very real. And so I'm wondering if you can expand on how real those benefits are and what you found in your most recent study. Mm -hmm. Oh, the snowshoe here. I forgot about this. Of course, you have a campus. There's rabbits everywhere. Um, <laughs>
And in the most recent study, the comments that I got back were amazing. I got uh, just shy of, of 3,000 photos uh, in this study, which was really overwhelming. <laughs> half of those uh, were from the people in the built condition. So half of those were human-built objects. Half of those photos were of natural objects and of nature. And to each of those photos was attached an emotional description. And the emotions that were evoked by nature were emotions like hope, peace, of rejuvenation, of awe. Whereas photos of human-built objects were much more likely to evoke feelings of stress, of disgust, of frustration, of anger. Big differences in the emotions that are evoked. I asked people at the end of the studies, what did you learn? It was very interesting. Yes, there were some people who said, well, I learned that, yeah, I already knew this. Nature made me feel better. But there was also groups of people, quite a large group of people, actually, participants, who wrote comments that said, I was really surprised at how nature made me feel, and I was surprised at how much nature made me feel. And that was an important lesson because people do tend to underestimate just how much of a positive impact being out in nature is going to have for them. So that's what my research has found, and these are very solid findings. And these studies, so these experiments that I've conducted and other people and other researchers have conducted these kinds of studies, these are randomized controlled studies just the way you would test a clinical drug, just the way you would test a drug for depression. This is how we test if exposure to nature is going to make you feel better. And so our clinical psychologists, psychiatrists, people who are treating things like depression on a normal basis but not studying the connections between nature and well-being, are they aware of this research? There's a growing number of psychologists who are starting to incorporate nature into uh, their therapy. There's not been a lot of research right now that has looked at ongoing nature involvement, the type of research that I look at, ongoing nature involvement that have been randomized so that we can truly establish causality. There hasn't been a lot of that. There needs to be more. And there needs to be most of the research, so much of this research looking at nature well-being connections is published in environmental psychology journals that therapists and counselors are not reading. So we need to get the message out in publishing in other kinds of journals, in therapy journals, journal positive site, through radio programs like this to get that message out that this is underutilized as a well-being intervention. And what's very interesting, I, I think this is very interesting, is so here in North America, if somebody is depressed, the first line of action is prescribe them an antidepressant, prescribe them a pill. Whereas in European countries, if someone comes in for depression, the first line of defense against that, the first course of treatment is a prescription for exercise, and in particular, green exercise, exercising in nature where you're exposed to nature. There's really interesting research even on green exercise that if you do the same physical activity in front of even just a picture of nature, particularly one that has more green in it, or same exercise in the gym, no picture, you actually get more physiological benefits when you're doing it green, when you're looking at photos of nature, if you're doing it outside. 
And so we've been talking a lot about the benefits to individuals. Mm-hmm. What are the benefits socially? Like, are there process social benefits? So, as I mentioned, some of the research that looks at the fact of people who live in greener neighborhoods tend to be more socially connected. They know their neighbors better. Individually, when you're exposed to nature, there's been some really incredibly elegantly designed studies looking how when people are exposed to nature, they tend to be friendlier. They tend to help more often, and they tend to help more quickly. People tend to endorse intrinsic values, so endorse things like closeness, community, um, helping others, as opposed to endorsing goals like fame and fortune, things that actually are negatively correlated. So if you're endorsing extrinsic values, fame, fortune, money, that will decrease your well-being. Really? So this, yeah. So this idea of nature with having social benefits has implications. It has implications for how we design communities, making sure that we design communities that people are passing through nature more so in their day-to-day lives, when they go to work, when they go to the store. Where do we invest our tax dollars? This is really important. Investing in nature, investing in Edmonton's River Valley, keeping that pristine. These are important issues because there's a solid body of research that shows from a social point of view, we are more connected to other people. We're more willing to help other people when we're exposed to nature. Why did you become so interested (laughs) in the connections between nature and well-being? I became interested in these connections this is part of who I am, really. Like I mentioned, we, my grandparents and my parents had a, a log cabin in the middle of the forest, spent a lot of time there um, in the forest, in just out in nature growing up. So it's very much a part of who I am. And then from a research point of view, I was lucky enough to, as an undergrad at, at McCune University, to be connected with Dr. Andrew Howell, who was doing one of the first studies on uh connectedness with nature and we looked at mindfulness and we just connected as researchers we both read the biophilia hypothesis and it just took off from there looking at how much of an impact and the more I learned the more I realized this is something that is accessible to basically everybody that's virtually free that has these enormous benefits for well-being and for flourishing Something simple as adding plants to your room, studying by the window, studying outside can make an enormous difference to your well-being, but also to your grades because there's quite a bit of evidence as well showing that cognitively we function better, we are restored after spending time in nature. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I think it's about time for us to get outside and look at the sun or the clouds, depending on what's out there. This has been fun, fascinating, inspiring. Thank you so much. I have a lot to think about, and I'm sure our listeners do too. Thank you so much for for having me here, Dylan and CJSR. This has been a real uh, treat for me, and it's also been uh, something that's very personally important to me because I think this is great to get the word out there about how people can easily improve their greater emotional, psychological well-being. That was Dylan Hall and Holly Ann Passmore, a positive psychology researcher who has developed a course on the psychology of meaning in life for both University of British Columbia and McEwen University here in Edmonton. She's teaching the course again over this July and August. 
If you want to hear more stories like that, check out our website at terrainforma.ca, and while you're there, look for the survey tab in the menu. We would love to get to know you, our listeners, and what you enjoy about the show. Your input can influence the content we gather over the next year. Also, upon completing the survey, you can enter a draw for the chance to win the opportunity to host Terra Informa here in Edmonton like I am right now. If you're from another city, no problem. You can still co-host from afar. Speaking of co-hosting, have you ever wanted to be on the radio? Fall semester is right around the corner and Terra Informa is recruiting. If you want to join our team and share your stories, check out the About Us tab on terrainforma.ca. Personally, I would highly recommend it. I have a blast every week learning about important issues and then sharing them here with you. What's not to love? On that note, that's all the time we have for this week's show. Terrainforma is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory. If you have questions or comments, send us an email to terra at cjsr.com or tweet it at terrainforma. Visit us at terrainforma.ca and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks this week to our contributors, Amanda Rooney, Charlotte Thomason, Andrea Gallivan, and Jason Wang. My name is Shelley Jodwin, and it's been a pleasure to hang out with you for this week's episode of Terra Informa. Till next week. <laughs>